Hello everybody, welcome to MHTV. It's really lovely to see you. Um, what we're going to be doing today is talking about diabetes and mental health, which is a really important subject for us to be aware of. Um, we're doing things a little differently tonight, so it's going to be just me on the screen, but Dave is lurking. So please do join in with any questions you've got, uh, any comments that you want to make. Um, it's you know it's you that, that really make this, so do um, ask questions. If you're on Twitter, use the hashtag MHTV and then um, field your question. If you're watching on Facebook Live, please just type away there um, and Dave will feed the uh, questions into me and we'll ask them. But let's go to our guest now. Um, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, Ruth. Can you tell people a little bit about yourself? Yes, thank you for inviting me. Yes, I'm um, a diabetes nurse consultant. Um, I've worked in diabetes for probably the last 20 years, but got a background in working in all sorts of settings uh, across the NHS, really, in the community and in, in acute so let's think about, you know, what is it about diabetes and mental health? How are they together? How are they interrelated? And, and what's brought you to that? So, first of all, uh, if you've got diabetes, you're mm. much more likely to develop depression. Um, so there's a kind of bi-directional relationship, um, which is quite complicated. Uh, and people who live with diabetes often experience diabetes distress, and it can totally, hugely um, impact their, their, their mental health and their, their well-being generally. And their, uh, but then if you look at people who have serious or severe mental illness, um, they also have a much greater likelihood of developing diabetes. Um, and so what really interests me, um, because I've, I'll talk a little bit in a minute about training that I've developed, what really interests me is uh, to make sure that people with serious mental illness who already have, you know, experienced huge health inequalities, that, um, that the, the, the sort of ignorance around diabetes does, is not added to their health inequalities, that there is a much greater understanding of how diabetes impacts people with serious mental illness. So, you so, make a really good, valuable point there, it's particularly about, you know, the experience of depression for people with any long-term health condition. Yeah. We don't always think to check for those things because we get so hung up in physical health on physical health and in mental health on mental health that we don't think about that exactly that bi-directional relationship that you're saying so what led you to sort of focus on diabetes how did you get into uh, that kind of work? good question um <laughs> it's a fascinating uh, condition it mm. is inextricably linked with socio-economic political stuff it's not just a yeah. like all conditions in many ways um, I, I kind of fell into it a little bit, but once, once I, was, I, I was working as a practice nurse and I was asked to run the community diabetes clinic, uh, and I learned from the patients that I met, um, but, but um, once I specialised in it, I, I, you know, was, I, I found it endlessly fascinating and, mm -hmm. and incredibly rewarding as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, What's the work that you're um, involved in at the moment? So we'll, we'll come back to talk more about diabetes and mental health in a minute, but if you could just tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing at the moment. So I recently just left a job that I was in as a diabetes nurse consultant in Northwest London. Um, and I'm now working back at an acute hospital as a diabetes specialist nurse, back to nursing, which is what I've really missed doing, just diabetes nurses, uh, nursing, doing, seeing patients. Uh, but for the last probably eight years, I've been involved in developing training um, for frontline staff, uh, diabetes training. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll just tell you a little bit about how yeah. that came about. Um, 
so there was a serious untoward incident um, mm. in, in a hospital that I was working at. Um, and it was a, a young woman with uh, type 1 diabetes and schizophrenia mm. um, came into A&E and um, she was admitted under the mental health team. Um, and she wasn't referred to the diabetes team because it was everything that was happened seemed, you know, appeared to be down to her mental health is sort of diagnostic overshadowing really. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately she died from at, at home. And when we kind of went to, I had, I was involved in going to the inquest, it became clear that actually she had been telling staff that she was having hypos. Um, and, and in fact, if you were to sort of look at what it was that had led to this um, tragedy, it was literally as simple as, it wasn't a complex medical thing, it was that nobody heard what she was saying. Um, and, and to me, that was just so you know, dreadful. And how do you prevent that sort of thing from happening again? And mm-hmm. there are a few incidents like that where you sort of carry the, the patient's uh, faces in your mind's eye or your client's face in your mind's eye as you go along. Um, and so I, I was kind of driven to develop basic diabetes training, it, it's starting with frontline staff. So it became absolutely clear in a hospital, in an acute hospital all over the country and probably internationally as well, mm-hmm. that um, frontline staff don't always understand basic diabetes. And, and, if, and very often it's complex diabetes that is being managed in, in, in yeah. hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that happened, it's, it's called diabetes 10 point training. And then not long afterwards, it became clear that actually all parts of the patient pathway, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. every, you can't discharge somebody home from hospital to a community nursing, uh, team if they don't have basic diabetes knowledge or indeed uh, to a mental health team whether it was in the community mm. or inpatient um, mental health team and uh, or into care homes and, and that's so in the last sort of four five six years I've, I've really focused on developing these training programs and they've been I think successful because they are concise they're fast they take about an hour mm. um, and because they're highly relevant so mm. you, we've all sat through training where we've sort of thought oh my goodness how does this relate to what my everyday mm. role is um, and so the, the idea is that it's highly relevant um, and it, it and and hopefully um, you know really does impact somebody's mm. everyday working life that it gives them the, the tools to be able to help their patients fantastic and dave will be putting those links out via twitter and via facebook as well so it's free open access you can um wherever you're working at the moment we would urge you and we will carry on urging you from time to time throughout this discussion to um check out that resource and actually make sure that your knowledge and understanding is where it needs to be for you to be able to give and be confident about giving a good standard of care so if we just cycle back to some so many things that you said so i think the first one is for anyone who's not aware could you think you could explain what diagnostic overshadowing is ah well my understanding of diagnostic Mm. overshadowing is where for example Mm. if you see a patient in a given sort of situation and and i'm sort of thinking about in a and e for example Mm. and a patient um so in, in this particular instance the patient was complaining that she was having hypoglycemia but all the staff saw was her you know severe her schizophrenia her severe mm. mental illness uh, and and so my understanding of of, of diagnostic overshadowing and it, I might be wrong and you might want to correct me is that all you then see is the mm. physical the, the mental illness and mm. you don't actually consider the fact that that individual 
does have um, a, a physical yeah. symptom and and we do see this quite a lot in diabetes mm. and it's interesting isn't it because it's almost like looking at someone with mental health glasses on so all you see is the diagnosis the mental health diagnosis and then it makes people assume that person is an unreliable witness which is again the kind of stigma we'll talk about diabetes stigma but there's always been a problem with staff really listening to people with mental health distress talk about physical illness be it pain be it um types of symptoms and just not hearing it because they attribute it to other things like anxiety or confusion and i think we i think we do it the other way around i think i think it works both ways for people working physical health and but i also think there's something else to that um i think people with autism and and i wanted didn't want to forget people with autism learning disability as well as people with serious mental illness um, the sort of way that people experience and report the physical symptoms are going to be different. They're going to be, they, they, you know, and I think it's about having that understanding as well. This, I, I, you know, uh, having an understanding that actually somebody with autism, for example, um, will need to be trained to be able to tell someone if they've got a physical symptom, may not be able to tell them at all. Yeah. So it's about us being more observant. Yeah, and being curious, isn't it, and, and getting and, engaged. But there is, I mean, you, you were saying before, there are some aspects of presentation when someone is, is suffering a hyper, a hyper and that can be confused for other things. I wonder if you could just clarify yeah. that. Yeah, no, thank you. That's a really important point. So um, in the training, we, we talk about um, it being, so it's a hypo, that is a low blood glucose below four, or hyperglycemia, which is a sort of blood glucose consistently in double figures. There's no real definition of that. And um, can the symptoms of both of those can be mistaken for psychiatric symptoms? For example, hypoglycemia that is low blood glucose. People um, can become aggressive. Um, they can become um, sort of um, disengaged. They may fall asleep and, and not engage with you. you know, they start snoring loudly, but it's mainly the aggression. And it can result in fitting as well, which is what, what happened. So what I didn't mention with that particular young lady, um, she actually presented with a dislocated shoulder and she'd been fitting. And, it, you know, she had been fitting during her during her hypos. Um, so, so that is hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. That's high blood glucose. People can become very, again, very sleepy, very socially kind of remote. And I I um, I can recall a patient who was actually homeless, had stopped injecting his insulin. He had type two, but he, he still, his blood glucose was so high, he took to his bed um, and he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. My understanding was because of the, 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 the negative symptoms of you know, the social yeah. symptoms. Um, but actually when, he start, when his insulin was reinstated and it was the understanding that it was actually probably more to do uh, with the fact that his blood glucose was so high, um, mind, um, as I recall, they actually were, they questioned the schizophrenia uh, diagnosis. So that's really kind of um, fundamental, isn't it? Yeah, to check that stuff. Mm, absolutely. So I guess there are other presentations as well that, that can be complicated. So, um, and, and you, again, you were saying how situational, circumstantial, social and political diabetes is. So at the moment, obviously, mm. You know, we're working a lot with people who are very financially restricted, which is making, you know, advice a little bit challenging at times to get it right, to get the pitch of the tone of it right. I wonder if you've got any sort of advice for how um, staff can start to ask questions and have these sort of discussions about 
managing diabetes well? First of all, I mean, you're, you're so right. I mean, so, so let's just talk about that sort of, sort of that inequality for a minute. So, mm. so certainly diabetes impacts people who are poorer, people from minority ethnic groups. So if you're African, Caribbean, Asian, you have a, 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 a much increased risk. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. People with learning disabilities, mm. um, and as you probably know, people with serious mental illness um, um, have a, a hugely magnified risk, and they will develop it about a decade younger, partly because of the antipsychotics. And, and you know, sometimes there's a question over whether antipsychotics are, have been given appropriately as well in all cases. Um, and, and the other thing I wanted to just bring in is that not all managing diabetes is about eating healthily. And, not, and, and so there's a perception that all type two diabetes is about being overweight and lazy. Okay, and if only you did something about it and there's sort of, you did it to yourself and you know, sort of punitive, negative um, kind of stereotyping of people with diabetes. And I just wanted to add that people with diabetes, uh, all types of diabetes live with a lot of shame and guilt. Yeah. Um, and that shame and guilt prevents people from self-managing their diabetes. And self-management is a cornerstone of diabetes. Um, so, so it becomes a hugely important. And I think if you just sort of look at the media and the messages in the media about diabetes, it's all about, um, you know, using up valuable resources, you know, diabetics who, who don't look after themselves. Um, I, and I think so if there was anything that I would sort of suggest that anyone needs to do is to look, think about your own attitude towards diabetes, make sure that when you do, you know, kind of address your patients, or if you're thinking about talking to your patients or your clients um, with diabetes, think about the words that you use. Don't use um, words like controlling diabetes or compliance, or even, you know, so where people are sort of non-compliant. There's a very good document called Language Matters Diabetes, which is, is you know, talks about all of that. Um, and, and it's much more about a sort of partnership, trying to sort of understand how people manage their diabetes, given their constraints, or that, you know, it's everybody will manage their diabetes differently and everybody's diabetes will be different. So diabetes yeah. also is different in different ethnic groups, actually. Um, so with regard to foods, you're, you're absolutely right. So, you know, at the moment we know, especially at the moment, um, some people can't even afford to eat yeah. at all. Um, and it, some of it is about the carbohydrates. So the cheapest food, is the usually the starchy food, isn't it? You know, the sort of mm. potato, pasta, bread, rice, cereal. And there's no point in talking to somebody about healthy eating if, um, if they're gonna depend on food banks. Um, mm. And well, it's not that there's no point, it, it's just gonna be much, much more difficult for them. It's a conversation you have to have with real sensitivity, isn't it? Yep. And yep. I think yep. Yep. And, with and any then, health advice, that's true. Yes, because it becomes a value judgment. Mm. And, and it becomes, you know, sort of like you're adding to people's sense of self-worth and, you know, lack of self-worth. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, things like if, if people are able to cook, things like lentils and, you know, that, that, that sort of thing rather than that's the sort of way to go. But it's, it's really, really difficult. And I think it's about being realistic. Mm -hmm. And also, I think we mentioned this earlier, food is incredibly emotive. People are motivated to eat for mm -hmm. all all sorts yeah. of reasons it's not just that they're hungry or greedy mm. yeah I think you're absolutely right I mean the emotional comp component to eating is so important and I think it, it kind of leads us into another area which can be a little tricky for mental health workers as well yeah. which is when you're working with somebody who has diabetes but also has issues around food maybe eating disorders whether they're diagnosed or 
sort of not specific yet. So I wonder if you have any thoughts or any wise words yeah. for us on that. So type one diabetes, especially um, what, pe- um, what people can do, they have the power to do is if they don't inject their insulin. So type one diabetes is a diabetes that is much rarer than type two. It's about five to 10% of all diabetes. And so if you have a patient with a serious mental illness and type one, you're going to know about them because they, they're going to run yeah. into lots of issues. People with type one diabetes need to make multiple decisions all the time, every day about mm. how much insulin to inject, how much food to eat for that insulin, you know, mm. factor in all of the factors that, that, that may, there are 42 factors, by the way, that affect blood glucose, mm. um, many of which can't be controlled. And there are links on the training about that, that people aren't mm. aware of. Um, so what people learn from an early stage, um, if they have type one diabetes, especially if they're going through adolescence and often if they're women, but men as well, that if you don't inject your insulin, you'll lose weight and you won't just lose weight, you'll lose, you can lose a whole dress size in one or two days. Um, and so we have this thing, I mean, it's been called diabulimia and it's a very serious, very dangerous um, diabetes um, um, condition, uh, condition eating disorder. Um, and it's hugely complex. Patients with diabetes should be referred to specialist um, centers. I know Kings have got um, a very good center. I think they're called, I can't remember what it's called actually, but, and then there's St. Anne's as well in North London, but there are specialist eating disorder uh, centers. I think it's called Tide, the one at Kings. Mm. Mm. Um, and then you have uh, disordered eating, which is uh, slightly different, um, but but yeah, I mean it's hugely important mm. that, that that if somebody if somebody with especially type one diabetes is getting it horribly wrong and running into uh, trouble, it's not because they don't know what to do; it's because mm. they're struggling, mm. and it's yeah, and people Absolutely. do struggle hugely with and, mm. and there's something called diabetes distress. And diabetes burnout, um, which are both sort of, um, sort of recognition and they are real sort of conditions that, that mm. people who live with um, especially type one diabetes very often um, become incredibly distressed about their diabetes and are just not able, they, they feel mm. that they're not able to, to carry on and, and they do need help. You just need the slightest bit of empathy, don't you, to imagine how that must be to live with from childhood upwards, That's for it to affect you, maybe at school, if you had bullying because of it, then you see in the newspapers how people talk about those things. If you have to inject publicly, sometimes that can be an issue for people sticking their nose in. <laughs> those sorts of things Abs- can be really difficult. Absolutely. It's absolutely understandable. You just get exhausted by it. Absolutely. And, and, and you're absolutely right. It's about sort of um, if you if you know anyone with type one diabetes mm. and if they ever talk to you about it, it, it is just um, yeah unbelievable. The, 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 the burden, mm. the, the huge burden of, of, you know, sort of self-care is absolutely enormous, but also the kind of, you know, the, 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 the fact that people are always telling you off your family members, maybe your healthcare yeah. staff, maybe your GP. You know, what have you done wrong? Why can't you get it right? And we also know diabetes isn't an exact science. So when people are told off and to get it right, they've often tried to do what they've been told. And they guess what? They find out it doesn't work. And then they become, you know, they become alienated from mm. the healthcare team and mm. make up their numbers. Mm. I, I probably would. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? Because this overlaps with lots of different behaviours that sometimes you see in health staff, which is sometimes if you feel frustrated... You get cross with the person who's actually come to you for help, and that's really unhelpful. So it's, it's ever so important, isn't it, for us to think about our own values, our own prejudices, but also our own well-being, so we're not 
passing on negative feelings to people who are vulnerable, really vulnerable. Yeah, no, you're right. We've got a couple of questions, if if you're okay with that. So just to say, um, they're coming through now. So um, thank you and welcome to uh, Jocelyn, Pally, Sophie, Florence, Tendai, all um, hello to you guys. Um, And Josephine is asking a question. um, When you refer to basic diabetes, what are we looking out for? So I suppose what's the difference between basic and complex? Oh, okay. Well, that that's actually a good question. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I say basic, but sometimes I think about maybe it isn't that basic. But I, I guess what I'm saying is making it accessible. Diabetes is um, complicated, um, and especially if someone's got a, a mental illness as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we make it so. So I'll give you an example: knowing what a hypo is, knowing how to recognise it, knowing how to treat it. So point number one. Point number one, for example, is listen to the person. They live with their diabetes 365 days a year, respect the knowledge they have of their own diabetes. Point number two would be about understanding the difference between the types of diabetes. Um, and that, why is that important? It's hugely important because you would never stop insulin in someone with type one diabetes because they would probably die if it went on for long enough. Uh, and, and so it's all the sort of nuances in that. So, and, and that's point two. Point three would be about checking feet, knowing about the sort of understanding the importance of escalating any concerns that you have if, if someone has a problem with their feet. Four is how to recognize and treat hypoglycemia, how they can be mistaken for psychiatric symptoms. Five is the same, but for, um, but for um, um, hyperglycemia. And I think I missed out one in this, which is diabetes and mental illness. And, and the impact of antipsychotics. And, and so it goes on, there are a few more others, but that is basic. So in a way it isn't basic. If you do the training, you can access it at a very superficial level um, and it's RCN accredited, I'll get that okay. in. Or if you're interested in knowing more, there are loads and loads of links to a lot more information. So it can be basic so that it will fulfill your needs in your role, or it can be much more complex if, if you mm. want to know more. Mm. And it is very sort of it's pragmatic training. It's focused in different areas. So if you're working in patients, there's inpatient work. If you're community-based, there's information you would need to know there. So it's very tailored as well. And so when we're talking about basic, we're not talking about the diabetes. We're talking about your understanding that you're able to give really good standard of care for people who've come across your doorstep, but also to know when to refer on when something could be a problem, such yeah. as have someone having an eating yeah. issue and so um, another question, um, what kind of um, behaviour will we be looking at in terms of display behaviour for people who are non-verbal? Which is a, it's a good question. Ooh, it's, a good it's, question. Called, it's a hard question. <laughs> ah, right. Yeah, yeah, I can see a thesis. Um, <laughs> okay, well, I, I guess so you're talking about symptoms. Are we talking about symptoms if you were concerned? Mm. So, so I think that would be, so if it would be hypoglycemia, which is a low blood glucose, um, so let's just talk about this. So, so we worry about hypoglycemia because it's incredibly distressing to have a hypo. Um, so if somebody was very, very sleepy, snoring very loudly, aggressive, um, they might experience tingling lips. Now, if someone's got um, serious mental illness, they, they may interpret it differently. It's difficult to know, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So high blood glucose, um, and it's it, it, somebody with high blood glucose may start to lose weight um, quite quite quickly, especially if they've got type one. Um, 
or they could be very, very thirsty. You'd see their mouth would be very dry. If someone's mouth is stuck, their tongue is stuck to their mouth, they may have oral candida. You might hear when they talk. Um, elderly frail people may not display those symptoms. You may have to really look, you know, they may not be able to tell you, be looking for them. Recurrent infections. So that's the other one. Recurrent infections that um, if we don't treat the high glucose, we just treat the, anti the infection that just carries on and on and those patients become a really high risk for acute hospital admission for you know all sorts of things especially during the time of covid so those were the patients the greatest risk uh, you know at the peak of covid um those sorts of symptoms and then let's not forget undiagnosed type 2 diabetes which i haven't mentioned so you may you know that's why we need to be screening everyone for diabetes anyone on antipsychotics is going to be at higher risk um, so, so it's all those sorts of things. Um, and what I haven't mentioned is that people with dementia um, are also at very high risk of diabetes. And that is also one that has a bi-directional relationship. So people with dementia have a high, uh, a, an increased risk of type two diabetes and people with all types of diabetes have a higher risk of dementia. So it's about screening both, both mm. ways. Mm. I lots comes to, oh yeah that's a good answer <laughs> they'll let us know if they want more information and do if we're answering questions of yours and you're still not clear just say it's not a problem that's why we're all talking together um there's, there's a couple of other questions coming through as well um have you any observations on how this issue was impacted by covid19 and lockdowns uh, only what i've been told because i i was i was sort of doing my training wasn't working clinically at that time mm. Um, so I know that um, a lot of people with severe mental illness became very unwell um, and were were and and were treated actually for their physical health in in mental health settings. Um, so so no, my experience doesn't really extend mm. beyond that. But but um, the issue with COVID is that people are now given steroids, and steroids mm. is one of the risk factors for actually. Um, giving someone diabetes if they mm. didn't have it before, and especially if they're already on antipsychotics, mm. um, or if they've already got, if they have got diabetes, it will push their blood glucose up and make them, can make people very, very sick. Mm. So you're talking about iatrogenic problems then as well. So that's yes. problems that occur yeah. because of the treatment or the interventions yes. that we're trying to make to help. Yes, so yes. Making it well, worse <laughs> Well, I mean, in a way you could argue the same for, antipsychotics but actually if oh absolutely if someone's yeah. severely mentally ill you have to treat their mental illness um and I, I think the thing to say about that is um that there's this big study um published in the lancet about the different types mm -hmm. of antipsychotics it's the early generation antipsychotics like the clozapine and lanzapines mm -hmm. those are the ones that really impact the glucose regulatory system so mm -hmm. when your patient is beginning to get better you know what you know the good thing to do is to review whether you can reduce their dose and change the, the type of antipsychotic. Absolutely. Oh, we're having a load come in now. Oh, get it's ready. <laughs> get ready. Um, if I can answer them. Are people with diabetes classified as disabled? No, not, not automatically, not at all. But there are people with diabetes who, as a result of the complications they may have, will definitely be diagnosed. So, if you think about the complications of diabetes, they can affect the eyes, the kidneys, um, the, the heart, the brain, um, yeah. and, and they cause neuropathy generally, um, mm. sort of autonomic neuropathy. Mm. So anyone with what we call, um, I don't know if you know about this, but hypo 
unawareness. Mm. So if somebody um, has had high, type one, especially mm. diabetes for a long time, they may be the opposite of the stereotype, the stereotypical sort of type one um, that we think about um, um, in mental health will be somebody who doesn't look after themselves or they don't look after themselves. But actually the opposite is often true that people are very anxious. So they over insulinize themselves. They become hypoglycemic and then they lose their awareness. Um, and if that goes on for a long time, people can actually collapse. It can mm. become a precipitate sort of collapse. Mm. So people can be um, end up actually having, you know, not being able to leave the house because of that. Mm. Uh, anyone, obviously, who be, who has becomes uh, visually impaired uh, and anyone on dialysis, um, you know, if they haven't yet had a, a, a kidney um, a, a transplant. Mm. Uh, and there are there are other things, autonomic neuropathies, which can um, mean that people end up um, having an autonomic. Uh, a, 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 I think that's what it's called, a bladder where mm. they have to self catheterize. So there are. Mm conditions that lead to a person being disabled and mm. obviously they have amputations yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, okay another question um can undiagnosed diabetes cause depression and anxiety pressure and anxiety depression you? depression well actually it's a, a, these are such good questions because it <laughs> made me to think we're ramping it up tonight <laughs> yeah no but it's so interesting so mm. Undiagnosed diabetes, especially it will be type 2 diabetes because mm. type 1 diabetes tends to be acute and difficult to not see. Mm. Um, if you, if, so very often type 2 diabetes can have been present in somebody for quite a few years before it's mm. diagnosed because it's it can be insidious. But as I said, it depends on the sort of different diabetes because there are lots of different presentations. Um, but if you if your blood glucose is gradually creeping up and your insulin levels are dropping because you're not able to make enough insulin, um, you remember I told you about this guy who became very very tired because he wasn't injecting. So people can, be, can become very very tired, very lethargic, and that can impact their mood. And in fact, a guy I saw yesterday it was exactly that that he was telling me he didn't want to inject his insulin in public. His blood glucose was high most of the time. He was lethargic. He was depressed. And part of that was because his, if your blood glucose is very high, not only is it potentially unsafe if you've got mm. type one or type mm. two, but it will mean that it will be difficult for you to get out of bed. And that mm. in turn will impact your mood. So absolutely, yes. Mm. I've gathered a couple together, which are kind of about money. <laughs> you know, we're facing a cost of living crisis. Are you seeing the impact of this on people's diabetes and how does this interplay with mental health? Um, and there's another question. Do people with diabetes get help with prescription charges in England? So let me do the second one first. Yes, mm -hmm. if you've got if you've been diagnosed with with any type of diabetes and you've been and you've been prescribed any medication, you're absolutely free from that point on. And, and actually, mm -hmm. that, that's, that, that, that brings up a point I wanted to make. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we, we knock the NHS. You think about America. If you are unlucky enough to have type one diabetes in America, you actually have to pay for your insulin. Mm. Um, and, and so people ration, ration their own insulin and end up developing complications and they, it costs hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Um, so this, the first question was about um, the cost financial impact, the cost of living, cost of living yeah, crisis. I, yeah, I mean, I was in clinic yesterday and I've seen patients who are being threatened with homelessness. Um, mm. um, so abs absolutely. And, and, and again, if we're working in a sort of multicultural, multi-ethnic sort of a population, 
we are seeing more of that without a doubt and, and people certainly not, not being able to eat decent foods. So, so absolutely yeah. positive, yeah, positive. Um, what are the basic things that I can do as a student nurse in terms of awareness and prevention? Things to do the training. For? Do the training. Please do the training. And, yeah. and because, you know, it really does talk to everything that you've asked me today. Mm. Um, I think be aware of what the symptoms of undiagnosed diabetes are. Mm. And the symptoms, you can have a look at the Diabetes UK um, website. Mm. There's a thing called Know, um, know, know Your Risk. Mm. Um, and, and if you've got patients who may not actually be at the level of being diagnosed with um, diabetes, but maybe what we call pre-diabetic or the, the medical term is non-diabetic hyperglycemia. So there's a mm. point at which you don't have diabetes, but your blood, your HbA1c, your blood glucose is creeping up. There's um, a big, um, there's a, a big um, um, sorry, the, uh, government drive, and it's called um, non. It's called um, the what is it called? It's called the diabetes, the National Diabetes Prevention Program. Yeah. Now it was it was online, um, but I, I, I am not sure whether people. I, I think that people with serious mental illness and learning disability should have access but because they are group they are group sessions um sometimes at some point they, they it was an exclusion criteria which it absolutely shouldn't be um mm. but, but it's really worth looking at the national diabetes prevention program if if that is a, um, an exclusion criteria then we need to do something about it you know if having absolutely. a mental illness so so it, it's about having access to primary care to to prevention but also to to all of the 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 mm. sort of the um surveillance, uh, having an annual foot check, an annual retinal screen, all the prevent prevention stuff, which I have seen doesn't always happen for people with severe mental illness. And I'd say that making sure that your patients have access to all of that, I think is a mm. really good place to start. Because a lot of this is really basic nursing care, isn't it? So having an interest in, in, in the person you're working with, being the kind of person they can talk to and share concerns and worries with, yep. knowing what they're eating, drinking, yep. whether they're able to mobilize. I mean, that's, you know, you can't get away from activities of daily living even with that, can you? And, I, and you I, trigger yeah. it. I, I know a lot of people do worry to, um, about um, mm. eating and diabetes. Um, mm. And I just wanted to say there isn't a diabetic diet. Mm. It, it really doesn't exist. Do have a look at the Diabetes UK website. It would type two diabetes it's about healthy eating and about your carbohydrates. Mm. Um, and with, with, with type one diabetes, you can virtually mm. eat what you want. You just inject for the insulin, more or less. Mm. Um, so, so um, yeah, it, it, it's people very often get quite um, cross about that, that, you know, they think, well, you know, pe people with diabetes, they sort of cross their arms across their chest. And so, you know, shouldn't they be eating a diabetic diet? And should, uh, and very often, if someone is having a mental health crisis, it's not gonna be able to be your priority to get that right. Mm. It's going to be, you can't, you know, force somebody to, it's about giving people the healthy choices and trying to guide them to make those healthy choices. And sometimes you're not going to be able to do that at that point. Got one more question. Um, you've just got in there on Nike under the wire before I start to, <laughs> good time getting away from us. So is it hypoglycemia or hyperglycemia that requires urgent attention? It's low blood glucose. So if someone is hypoglycemic, that's a blood glucose below four. If they're at home, mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's important that their family know how to do this um, or in a hospital or any setting, mm -hmm. fast acting glucose. So not anything milk-based. Thank you for asking this question. 
Um, not, not a cup of tea, not a glass of milk, fast acting glucose, that could be a, car, a small carton of pure fruit juice or a small can of non-diet uh, sugary drink, um, or it can be sort of glucose tabs, but it's something to drink or glucose, a glucogel, two sachets into the mouth. No, you would never put anything in anyone's mouth unless they had a safe swallow. If they don't have a safe swallow or if they're, well, if they're unconscious, you put them in the recovery position, you do 999. Um, there is a thing called glucagon, which is an injection that you might give to somebody um, if they've got type one diabetes and it's an intramuscular injection. It releases glucose stores from the liver and it's always either the family member or a nurse or, or doctor would give that. Um, and that buys you time. It doesn't work in everybody. Um, um, I think I've, yeah, so, and then there's step two. So step two, if somebody's at home, um, this, uh, you'd give them a couple of digestive biscuits, a bar of chocolate and, and in a hospital as well. In the, so that would be step two. But the most important thing is if someone is having hypos, for goodness sake, get um, somebody to review them. It means they're on too much, too much medication and some, or too much insulin. Very often diabetes is a, somebody's medication is a dynamic thing. Sometimes it needs to be reduced. Sometimes it needs to be increased. It depends on everything else that's happening to that person. So again, one of the things is just to, to know the person and to notice changes, particularly unexplained changes are really useful. Yes. And, and nothing is ever static. Mm. You know, things change and, and don't just write numbers down. <laughs> somebody know. <laughs> Absolutely. So we've got time to getting away from us now. What, if you could just let us know what are your plans for the future? What do you, what do you hope to see with this work? Because it's so important. Where, where are you going with it? Um, so what I really want to do, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the whole patient pathway and I've worked in, I'm old enough to have worked in loads of places now. Um, so we're in the process of developing. So one of the programs that we have, we have delivered, but it isn't online, is for people working in the homeless services uh, because there are huge issues there. Um, and so the plan, the next step is um, developing a program, a, a fourth program or a fifth program, depending how you look at it, for prisons, um, police services and detention centres. Um, you will know um, better than I do how many of the people that um, end up in prison or in police detention uh, uh, you know, centres or detention centres uh, will have serious, severe mental illness as well as diabetes. Um, so there are lots of commonalities, but it's about getting, um, getting to those services, getting to the, those staff and, and offering that training as a and I think the other thing to say about the training is um, some areas of work, um, and especially care homes, it's about valuing and investing in staff and, and making them feel that they have a valuable contribution to make. It's not just about saying you've got to do this training. Yeah. So if you were to leave people with one message, what would that be? Uh, I think I know, but tell us. <laughs> listen to the person. Mm, mm that lives with diabetes, mm. Listen, you know, to, like, like you said, think about how it feels to have diabetes um, mm. and, and, and respect, the, respect the knowledge they have of their own mm. diabetes. They are the experts of their own mm. diabetes, be guided by them. Mm. And even in, in the presence of severe mental illness or dementia, you need to listen, if it's not them, their family or their care. Yeah, just listen harder. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So thank you very much. And um, we've got some thank yous coming through. So it's always nice to hear that you found the session useful. Brilliant. Um, and just to say, um, this training, the links are out on Twitter and they're also up on um, Facebook Live. Dave's doing his job, which I'm sure he is. <laughs> and um, If not, I will retweet. 
Absolutely. Well, and if you see them, do retweet them as well to your colleagues because that'll be really helpful. So yeah, everybody um, retweet, please. Yeah, that's yeah, everybody. <laughs> um, and thank you very much to Ruth for your time um, and for the, the amazing work that you've been doing in this area. It's so so valuable. So thank you very much. Well, thank you for a really enjoyable interview. <laughs> good night and good night all. Good night. Thank you, everybody. Bye bye. Bye bye.